Welcome to Sim Sunday's episode, I want to say it's 16, I should have looked that up before we started, of Sim Sundays presented by GridFinder, you know, your weekly source of sim racing chat, a little bit of racing, well, I say racing, but it's more just kind of casual laps to have a chat with the guest. And our guest this week is Cammy from Go For The Gap. So if you've ever like just had in your head that I need something in my sim racing room that, you know, represents sim racing a little bit more than just a your own hand drawing, this is the perfect place to do that. Cammy, welcome to the show this week. How oh, are you? Thank you. Thank you for that very kind introduction. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Doing great. You know, I've you've actually worked with us before on a couple of events. You've given some free prints out to some of our old Gridfinder invitationals, which have since stopped now. But the the quality of your work is stellar. And I'm I'm actually looking over here because I'm looking at your website right now going, I kind of want to get one of these. What what got you into doing these sim racing prints? Um, I suppose Ever since I was little, I was drawing. Ever since, like, you know, I could hold a pencil, I was uh, drawing. And it was generally video game stuff when I was little, but also having grown up with a dad who likes Formula One. Okay. At the time, Nigel Mansell was very big in the UK. So I just sort of started drawing his car. It went from there. I took a tangent and went into working in animation and video games because I couldn't Naturally. afford to go racing. And then sort of sim racing became really, you know, a really respected eSport. And mm-hmm. so I kept at it. I decided to get into iRacing. And yeah, it's... I realized people take their sim cars as seriously as people take their real world cars. But obviously there's no one there to take <laughs> photos or do those passionate illustrations of your car because it doesn't really exist. So right. I thought, you know, it's a great way to immortalize it because, you know, once in 20 years, once those servers are offline, they'll be gone forever. It's, it's amazing because now you draw or at least design and, you know, take stuff off the internet, all of these yourself, or do you have a team of people? How does that exactly work? It's just me. I'm not rich enough to afford people to help me. I think I offloaded a bit of work once to my cousin, but they wanted something Japanese, like client wanted something Japanese, anime, cutesy. (laughs) <laughs> that's um, not your style not quite i used to do all of that um okay and i handed that quick hand that off to my cousin and sort of helped her out as she got started freelancing but no otherwise it's just me so this yeah i can't get the prints out and illustrations out very quickly just because it's well, me it's and it's yeah it's it's art but also paid work has to take priority and of course of course now I'm super jealous because, I mean, while I, I can take things into Photoshop or into Illustrator and I can manipulate them, but anytime that I'm making my own creations, let's say I want to make, uh, I don't know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger. I don't know why I picked that out of the air, but that's <laughs> what I picked. Let's say I want to make that, right? I'll go into Illustrator. I'll make a bunch of shapes as I f- assume I'm supposed to do, and then it comes out and it never looks great. But your stuff... Looks, looks absolutely fabulous. and Thank you. It's very so, much a trust the process. You've said you've been drawing since you were very little, since you could pick up a pencil and all that stuff. So do you do primarily digital or are you doing pen and paper? St- or I guess it wouldn't be pen and paper because you can't 
erase that. That seems weird. But pencil and paper, how how do you go about starting, let's just any of these drawings or any of these prints that you have up here? Um, It used to be a case of using a graphic tablet and looking up at the screen on Photoshop. And that That wasn't the easiest, but like a Wacom. Yeah, I had one of those tablets as well. And it was the most frustrating thing because you're like trying to synchronize your eyes and your hand together. And yes, the mouse moves around, but like there's this natural want to like look down at the surface that you're drawing on, right? And if your screen is a different, like if your screen is wider, a different ratio to the tablet, if you draw a circle (laughs) on the tablet, it will come out as an an oval on the screen because, you know, unless you go into the settings (laughs) and change it. But since about 2016, I've been drawing on an iPad, actually, Um, Mm -hmm. like the first iPad Pro, got a pencil, I bought it secondhand, I had a friend who worked in a secondhand store, traded a couple bits in, got that, and it's been the best purchase I've ever made so i'll quickly sketch things down on the ipad then take it over to another bit of software it might be um, affinity or coral draw or adobe illustrator it depends what style i'm going for and okay. how much time i have <clears throat> with coral draw i'll be using a mouse with illustrator i'll be using a mouse i think there is a tablet version of illustrator i'm still learning that there is but it's not quite Illustrator. It's a wannabe Illustrator that they're going to call Illustrator. It's kind of yeah, like Photoshop. Like, they're getting there, and eventually I, I, I imagine there's going to be feature parity. But right now it's like, okay, I see this is it's getting more powerful, but it's just quite not quite there yet. Um, I, I bought an iPad Pro thinking, you know what, I'm going to buy an iPad Pro and take some, like, online drawing courses just for some fun off time and then inevitably uh my lack of skills in the drawing department came to show themselves again and then it was more of an exercise in trying to uh mess with my patience than anything because <laughs> so, you know they're trying to make you make the spheres and and all the different shapes so that you can understand oh, yeah. uh rigging and and uh I, I forget what they call i call it rigging because that's what they call it in in uh, animation on like after so you're drawing the skeleton of the person yeah yeah with just shapes so like the legs are cylinders you know the arms are cylinders the the hands are blocks things like that and i just no matter how long that i spent in there now of course if i spent years i'm sure i would eventually get it but no matter what it always ended up looking like like I was in third grade still drawing. It's, it, my skills have never <laughs> evolved from third grade, in all honesty. The trouble with the internet is it's there are great online tutorials out there, but also you can feel a bit disheartened when you see everybody else's work, and it's very easy to start comparing yourself. This is oh, advice yeah. I'm giving you now that I definitely don't listen to myself. <laughs> like, it's, just don't compare yourself to other people you're all at different stages of a journey yeah and yeah i know i don't listen to that i am always comparing myself to it's almost impossible it's almost impossible to listen to that though because the same thing comes when it's uh let's say you want to be a streamer or you want to be a youtuber or pick anything really that where where there's a, a significant skill gap from the beginning of your career to the end of your career so taking content creation like youtube for instance you're like oh man this one creator blew up in like six months. So if you are in it for six months and you're like, wow, I still only have 10 people that subscribe to my YouTube channel, you look at yourself as like, well, I didn't make it. I might as well 
hang up the towel and <laughs> not do I mean, it it's anymore. funny you say that i gave youtube a try i've got a channel with it maybe got to 300 subscribers but i realize it's a real full-time job oh being a you know people like uh jimmy broadpen or basic ollie the sim racers it's a real full-time job to upload every day or every two days or just keeping on a schedule because it means you have to do it even if you don't want to yeah because all those algorithms rely on routine and i tried and it just wasn't for me us as sim racers were like well i enjoy sim racing i can record the gameplay and talk into a mic and hang out with some people and talk about sim racing any day so let's give this a shot or pick another video game call of duty or just single player game whatever it may be and you're right it's there's just so much that's involved in building an audience and then not only do you have to do the daily uploads and daily editing and daily this daily that you have to get on social and start sharing and then i always had the weird thing no matter what kind of business so content creation my my freelancing stuff that i do I always have a problem where I don't feel like I should be promoting it as much as I really should be because I feel like dirty about like, well, I'm self-promoting, so I better not, I better not post uh, all the time in, in these, uh, in discord or on Reddit or on social. Nobody else is going to blow your horn for you. It's true, but it's, it's a real weird thing because I know when I look at, let's say I'm in a discord with a, mm. a group of streamers and it's thousands of people, right? When I'm in there and I look at the go live pages or channels rather i'm always like does this even work because i never click on any of these people and so then i get into my own head and i'm like well why would i post if i never click because no one else is clicking and it's just Mm -hmm. this weird like you always psych yourself out when you're trying to create something like that and it's when it comes down to it you should just do it do the put in the grunt work but it becomes a job and then if you have a normal nine to five how do you find the time, you know? So when you created Go For The Gap, and by the way, I love your logo, and I just realized this today about your logo, the first G's negative space is a racing helmet. And that is fabulous. Because I was like, why are the G's different? Because that bugged me at first, because of graphic design. Uh, I was like, the yeah. G's are different. I don't like that. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> now I understand why the G's are different. So the first one is an actual racing helmet. Where did you get the name of Go For The Gap and what made you kind of, you know, settle on that? Because naming Um, things is probably one of the hardest things to do in the world. Yeah, I'd love to say it was like a moment of inspiration, but it wasn't. It was literally trying to go through catchy names that other people hadn't taken (laughs) where I could get the URL for Twitter, YouTube, you know, um, Etsy and all of that. So I was thinking of sort of clever motorsport things. So mm-hmm. inevitably there's a social called uh, Purple Sector. There'll be one called Racing Line. There'll be one called mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Apex. All of these Formula One terms. So I thought, well, okay, now I've got to find one that nobody else has taken. <laughs> and another name that didn't get chosen because I didn't think it was very strong. So it was like a play on the words of Park Ferme, but it was okay. Art Ferme. Okay, okay. And I, I, a few people said, oh, yeah, it's clever, but I didn't. And then that would I just, be hard because another I'd thing that's difficult, it, explaining a name kind of defeats the purpose because you want it to just be instantly stuck in someone's head so that when they go to the internet, inevitably, and they Google search for it, 
That's it. It's easy to type. It's easy to come up with, especially in the beginning of a business like this. Your, your SEO is not quite up to par, so things that are close don't find you at all. No. Um, I, and then I made, a, I made a list of F1 sort of terms. So, you know, there was a, I think there was a company called Box Now. So I thought, okay, I can't use that one. Uh, purple Sector, Go, 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 things like Lights Out. Yeah. And then I thought, go for the gap. And it hadn't been taken. Nobody had taken it. I made it, a month had passed, and then I know somebody told me that it was in use. Okay. And I panicked because I just got the logo done. And it turned out it was like a defunct Croatian Instagram okay. page, but their logo was just really generic and they'd printed a few shirts and then stopped trading. Okay. Um, I did shoot them a message, but they, yeah, I think it's been two and a half, three years now and they've not replied, so... And I actually think I they've rebranded say. as a completely different name because their old website, which was gofortheGap.com, just redirects to something else now. Oh, okay. And that's why you are .co.uk, or as I say it, .co.uk. Yeah, that's why I'm .co.uk. I think they still have their old one redirecting, and I'm sure they do nice stuff, but it's we're not in competition with each other. They're printing sure, sure. shirts, I think, and they're based out of Eastern Europe. And, you know, I'm doing the art prints and sim racing stuff and based out of, well, country that left Europe, I suppose. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so how often do you do new designs, would you say? Um, in the early days of the Etsy store, it used to be every few days because I was quickly just trying to build up a library of work. Sure. Even though it was generally unpaid. And I'd get the occasional commission but because i wasn't very well known and i didn't know how to price myself <laughs> these people were generally getting bargains before i knew about things like creative licenses and copyrights and yeah it wasn't until speak so i'll give him a shout out um legendary motorsport artist chris rathbone who if you've checked out daniel ricardo's instagram account mm -hmm. there's artwork that chris rathbone has made for daniel ricardo and oh, wow. he and Chris told me, you know, like most of the money of, well, most of the money that he makes doesn't come from commissioning the artwork. It comes from licensing its use for commercial purposes. Okay. So it means if, you know, I can charge somebody an amount for a piece of art and if they're going to have it on their office wall, that's the end of it. But if it's a motorsport team and they say, well, we want to put it on shirts and we want to put it on the truck and we want to have it on caps and sell merchandise and we want it on our Instagram, everything like that. It's like, well, okay. then now there's a commercial license that comes into effect and that's, I'm learning. Yeah. Well, that's the natural progression of any business is in the beginning. I think it's just like a rite of passage. You always make your prices way too low because you're like, oh, no one knows me, so in order to get business, I have to be cheaper. And I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You know, it's just the <laughs> whole myriad of emotions that you go through when you're trying to create a business. And then, you know, personally, because I do freelance work as well um, for a completely different, different thing, but I also feel weird about, like, raising my prices to a level that, that I really want to make. So there's, I have this chart yeah. in Notion that is, like, what I need versus what I want in like a daily income, monthly income, et cetera, right? And I know what I need to be at in order to make the how much I want to make in life. 
but I look at that and I go, I don't know. <laughs> you come over all nice. About that. <laughs> it's so, easy to come over all nice because in we're all quite close. It's a close knit community, motorsport, isn't it? It is. Everybody knows everybody, knows everybody. And everybody's so friendly. And then you come over all friendly and go, oh, well, I'll knock a bit off then. Oh, it's you. I'll make it a bit cheaper. And they, they're probably going great. But, but in the end, know, you could probably, a very just, small place. I need you a could probably place. just say the exact price that you want and that you feel you deserve. And they'd probably go, oh, okay. Because that's, yeah, that's another thing that I've realized in business is half the time you're just afraid to ask for what you want. And the other person would completely agree. Because then you, let's say you quote a project and uh, just for round numbers, you're like, I want a thousand, but I'm going to give it to them for 750. And they instantly agree. And you're like, well, I should have tried. (laughs) I have had that before. And you think, (laughs) I can't go back and. Yeah, I can't be like, so since you were willing to pay 750, what about. (laughs) I mean, I had that recently for. um... Uh, the last lap podcast i didn't know what it was about i did their logo for a set price that i always do logos for and i okay. thought it was like a little podcast at home but it wasn't it was this big tv studio sort of thing oh. with um tomo f1 and i was like ah Oops. live and learn <laughs> live and learn i can boast that it's my logo and my design but live and learn yeah i guess there is a little bit of um if you do run into a situation such as that you can be like okay well now i can put them in my little uh checkerboard of people i've worked with which is nice. Yeah, that so. is always great. And they were very nice on Twitter and they gave me some pictures of the studio to share. Nice. There was, yeah, they were very happy to work with me. And I, I think a few months later they needed some files and I just sent them the files and they were happy that I was helpful like that. I suppose some people will say, no, we don't have those files anymore. Well, I've actually, so... I've hired a couple different designers for various projects in my, my career, my day job. And a lot of the time they'll give you a deliverable. And let's say that the, the deliverable was for, I don't know, a logo for a website, right? And Mm. we all know that websites are pixel based. We don't really care about it being vector as much as like a print shop would. Right. So I've had a situation where I asked the artist, I'm like, Oh, can we just have the vector copy to make it any size? And they're like, Oh, well you didn't pay for that licensing for, for any size now it's going to be this extra size this price and i was like oh well while that's understandable that sucks <laughs> yeah i suppose if you asked about it up front they might they might have done you a deal i suppose right. it's it's like you didn't get the meal deal you've bought a couple bits then forgotten you want something gone back and they sort of well right i, I bought have... the, the cheeseburger without the fries and then i went back and was like hey i want the combo deal and they're like no you have to buy the fries separate now it's a yeah that's it. different transaction kind of a i thing. think that's pretty much the best analogy for it and i don't know why i went with like fast food from america eg- example for that but whatever <laughs> no it completely makes sense um obviously plenty of mcdonald's and everything over here as well i think uh we just Mike might have to help me out on this. I think Wendy's just opened up. Oh, Wendy's is, is like, one of my favorites. Yeah, I've never been to a Wendy's. It's I, I enjoy them thoroughly. I, I find their burgers to be better, their fries to be worse. So it's like a go there for a burger, go to McDonald's for the, for the French fries, because I, I believe they put some kind of addictive substance in there of some sort, because, man, I've sometimes I just absolutely <laughs> have to have not just any French fry, it's McDonald's French fries. This is not an advertisement. They do not sponsor this. <laughs> but uh, 
I, I do hear from Tom, which unfortunately he's not here because he's on holiday or as we in America call it, because we like to be different on all kinds of random things. We call it vacation. But, uh, but he's told me <clears throat> that the size di- differential between American, like large, for example, oh, and, yeah. and like UK large is essentially our small is your guys's large. And then our large is like a bucket of drinks. That's just that's humongous it, yeah. and giant and unnecessary. We even have to have in our cars special cup holders that we like put in our cup holders to make the cup holders bigger to be able to hold the giant cups that we have. You know you have a problem if American car companies don't make cup holders big enough for the cups that are being used in America, right? That seems yeah, kind of weird. <laughs> don't you start call when they get to that big, aren't they like quarts or something? You call them like half gallon no, well, some of, some restaurants will go by the actual, uh, and of course, we don't use liters. We use gallons and ounces mm. and all that instead of the simple metric system way. But uh, yeah, some restaurants do that. But for the most size, it's or for the most part, it's just like small, medium, large, extra large, um, and then one in in the chat said the super size. Used to be a thing. They've gotten rid of supersizing. Oh, I remember it. that movie. I remember yeah. that movie. They got me. after after that movie. Basically, <laughs> nowhere uses supersize me anymore because the bad connotation between that and well, just I mean, supersizing in general. For metric, it's worse over here because obviously we have our food in grams, kilograms, liters. But then on the road, it will say miles per hour, yards. Okay, so we have That's this horrible. We have this strange mix of metric and imperial systems and our the uk gallon is different to the us gallon what so when we're trying to work out a car's uh fuel efficiency we're buying the cars sorry we're buying the fuel in liters what but then we'll be told the efficiency in miles per gallon so we're going right well how many liters are in a gallon (laughs) Which, which gallon, American gallon or a UK gallon? I don't know. That is absolutely ridiculous. Right. And I <laughs> and guarantee someone in some office somewhere went, if we do it this way, a lot of people are going to be confused and think it's better than it actually is. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, I mean, it would make sense for us to sell the fuel in gallons if we've got. Uh, fuel efficiency in miles per gallon because it does say cars do they are advertised saying this car will use seven liters to drive 100 kilometers but if you say 100 kilometers to people in the uk they hmm. they wouldn't be able to visualize it in their mind you know that's interesting still very because miles based me as an american of course when a when freedom loving American. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> when when someone says a mile, I I pretty much understand how far that is. But if you say yeah. a, a kil- kilometer, 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 I don't know. People say it differently all all, all the time. It's kind of like pop and soda, but those are two. Anyway, I have no like real idea of how I, long it is, or like a yard, a yard on a football field for us. Which I'm talking American football because that's another thing that we feel like we need to <laughs> soccer versus football. We don't even have to go into that. But on like an American football field, there's the hash marks on there. So that's a yard. And then when someone says a meter, I'm like, wait, uh, and it takes me a while to like mentally picture and, and get an accurate reading of how far it is. Yeah, it's imperial. Um, if you're writing a book and you're describing a character, imperial sounds 
better to the ear. If you've got a character and they say, you know, I'm six foot two, that sounds better than I'm 192 centimeters. Centimeters is weird to measure people in, I will admit. It's too small of a unit. Yeah, I feel like even inches is almost too small of a unit. For So I'm like 70 inches, and that just sounds weird to me. Yeah. That, I'm like, that, no, 5'10 five, five, is fine. Like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, so, you don't need accurate, you know, you're just categorizing the first section. So that's your five foot. And then. And then the rest is the just ten. like, whatever. But if you just said 70 inches, I, I'm, I don't know how to. I have no me. idea. Yeah, I have no idea. So Are you bring that back inches? into <laughs> sim racing a little bit. Anytime there's a video game, I always have to change it to Imperial because if I don't. Like, so if I'm driving in like Forza Horizon or something like that, and it's in the metric system and it's telling me I'm going 180 kilometers per hour, I have no idea how fast I'm going. I'm like, I'm going quickly. I don't know. That's about all I know is I'm going quickly. But if I'm going 120 miles per hour, I'm like, okay, I have a bit of a reference point there. It's just, it's crazy how my, my mind just doesn't work that way. And I know it, it, Europeans must have it the other way as well but the strangest thing is being in i've like been to the continent they use centimeters they use meters but not for their televisions <laughs> they will still say inches for their televisions that's true it's true well what's really frustrating is that we we kind of interchange the two so when you're building something right <clears throat> so let's say you're doing a bathroom construction some things will be an imperial other things will be in metric and you have to like actively switch back and forth as you're building things. And it drives me insane. Absolutely. I think NASA insane. lost a spaceship because of that once. It's like, it's <laughs> the most annoying thing to be like, now I have to do this weird conversion. And like, what if my tape measures are all the Imperial tape measures? So anytime I see something in millimeters, I'm like, now I got to pull out my phone and convert it. And then it's like, not on a hash mark, so I'm like, I just kind of have to get close. It's, it's the most I'll send you one of our tape measures. They've got both. <laughs> they do. I should get one, but anytime I'm buying a tape measure, I'm never thinking of, oh, yeah, I should probably get one that has both. I'm, I'm just like, <laughs> oh, just get the, the normal everyday tape measure that you would buy at, at Lowe's or Home Depot, you know? It's kind of funny. get to this topic? I don't get know. Here. I don't know. I'm, I'm very <laughs> good at that. Go back to racing. It, it completely just sidetracking and then speaking an hour over there but anyway yeah so let's get back to racing so tell us how or tell me how i guess us me whatever how did you get your start in sim racing when did like when did you first start you know playing around with it and you know what made it become this passionate thing that now you run oh, a business on back when televisions were that but big behind and you know you put videos in you had to rewind them right. uh there was a racing sim on PC and Atari called Jeff Crammon's Grand Prix. Okay. And that was the first racing simulator I ever had on like a really old PC and about eight frames per second and really blocky. You can Google it. It's like where Formula One race simulators really started. And it was the first one to let you really set up your car and it would have realistic changes. So I've basically been playing race games since then, sort of through PlayStation, PlayStation 2, Dreamcast, up to sort of slowly upgrading my PC along the way, I suppose. Until I suppose started taking it seriously around 2015. Okay. Getting into things like iRacing, like wincing wow. at the cost of it. But wow. I... You've, so 
2015 getting involved in iRacing. That's a long, long journey. It, yeah, I think it was around then. And I, I had a go on my Xbox controller and then immediately lost. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a really serious simulator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I had to give it a while, get a steering wheel and well, everything. I think most of us have played racing games on controller at some point. Um, of course, keyboard was the first thing. A flight joystick was in there at some point yes. because it was analog and you can, you know, kind of turn rather than full on off, just a one or a zero kind of a thing. So that was nice, but it felt weird because it's a flight controller and it just doesn't marry well to a steering wheel. Um, but like the Need for Speed games and the Midnight Club games and stuff like that, where it's kind of open world racing and it's just kind of for fun, arcade style stuff. I played all that on on controllers. Yeah, and- yeah. Same, same. I had those. It was only iRacing where I got to it, tried it with an Xbox controller and could, I could get the car around the circuit, but I was a lap down in the MX-5s in the rookies. And I just realized you need so much finesse and control that you can't really get through a controller. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there's somebody out there now who say, actually, you can do it. But I There's there's some some amazing controller players out there. Specifically, I see a lot of them uh, playing on F1. So they'll yeah. play the, the F1 game with a controller and they're setting like world record lap times and stuff Although like that. Those games like Gran Turismo Sport, Gran Turismo 7, F1 2022, because they're on consoles, they're they kind are of, sort of, they're mandated to tweak the physics. To They can't exclude the controller players entirely. Yeah, it's almost like they probably, uh, I they're mean, a bit I don't know that. They're a bit arcadey, and they're they're specifically designed to work with the hardware that you naturally just have with the system. So that being a controller, and then they're adapted probably later for a full steering wheel. Because there are times where, for instance, in the F one game, where it almost doesn't feel like it's controlling correctly when you're you're using a full wheel setup. Just it it almost feels a little bit kind of I don't know I don't know how to how to articulate it, but it's almost like it's too responsive now i know you can adjust it and everything but i never found that golden perfect zone because i always try to make it so that when i turn the wheel the hands on the screen are doing the exact same yeah amount of motion and it always seemed like it just didn't feel right for me i don't know why no i've never um i've not actually played any of the f1 games since about 2019 and even then i only had a i bought it had a few races on it the online play was a bit crazy. They just smash you off. They're not taking it seriously. And then <laughs> yeah. I never really went back to it. But yep. like R Factor 2 and iRacing have their own F1 cars. And they, I seem to gel a lot better with them there with drivers who take it a bit more seriously. So You know, that's an interesting thing you say there. where it's Because obviously GridFinder has a ton of F1 leagues on, on the site. So if you're looking for an F1 league, go to gridfinder.com. Anyway. I've got to buy F1 2022 first, but then as soon as I buy that, 2023 will come out. Well, I always stay a year behind in all EA games because then you get it for like pennies, basically. Yeah, I, got, I just got FIFA 23 for $10 because they wanted to get you playing FIFA so that you get to FIFA 23. And I'm like, I'm not paying $70. For, I'll just wait until next year when FIFA 23 is $10 and I'll buy that. So I'm always a year behind there. But... uh it's interesting that you say, you know, they're not taking it seriously in some of those leagues. I think that, generally speaking, is the is the feel of sim racing when you go into the random started servers. So it's if it's just, you go to a server list, there's no real organization behind it. It's just 
the Wild West, and anyone that. can jump in. I think that's where you get the people that are always crashing you, or if you pass them, they just they pit maneuver you just so that you don't get around the track. Yeah. But when it comes to to racing in in F one or in any game, joining a league is better. Do you do you race in any leagues? Not recent. I have been in a couple. Um, sort of powered by simracing.gp there's the owned racing series owned standing o-n-i-d standing for oh no i died <laughs> i've been doing a lot of commentary work with them recently oh. i sort of do the commentary on their sunday night gt3 leagues okay um owned are sort of sponsored by jimmy broadbent as well so nice they had to beat out 20 or so other esport leagues to get that sort of oh, sponsorship wow. deal with jimmy broadbent and I've been in a few uh, championships, sort of esport leagues. Um, so I, I find that the people in racing. in the real, real leagues, yeah. I find I find that they take it seriously, and it's and it's something that you know there's there's respect on the track. Normally, they don't try to try to crash you just because you pass them, because you know the stewards will get involved and ban them for a race or whatever. Yeah, there's consequences, and yeah. you'll be seeing them again next round. It's not just you know, a 15-year-old kid who's just booted up his PlayStation. Uh, he's annoyed. He's taking stress out on everybody else crashing and then just goes, eh, I'm done, and just sort of throws the controller and sort of goes down and has dinner. But there's been yeah, when you've got a league and, of course, like live, live stewarding. That, I, I personally would never volunteer to be a steward, ever. I've done some post-race stewarding and it generally came down to... There was five stewards, and it was like a, minor, a minority majority decision okay. process. Well, so at least it's not just think. like your decision is what gets handed down to the to the. No, it's not a Formula One situation. Yeah. Thank goodness, where all the blame can be pinned on one person. Yeah, yeah, um, that would be a little rough. It would be, but I have had the chance to race some famous people in esport leagues, so that's been fun, and sort of got to beat a few as well. So. That's hey. even better. That's even better. Oh, now, yeah, it does wonders for your ego. My, my sim racing skills are normally put to use in time trial style leagues. <clears throat> so that's where I feel comfortable because for some reason, I don't, know, I don't know what it is about just being on the track with other people. I just make the worst decisions always. <laughs> Breakpoints, turn-in points, apex, all of it is just the worst decisions ever. But if I can turn on some tunes and just kind of zone out and throw together a couple hot laps, I'm definitely a hot lap player, without a doubt. Oh, I, I can't do hot. I'm really no. I'll qualify, mm, eh, okay, but I'll come up during the race. I can be consistent. I tend not to make so, the mistakes other people make. Wow, so you're polar opposite to me. Like, where... I, yeah, not a hot lapper. I. Interesting, because uh, like I'll qualify and I'll be like in the middle of the field, which is good for me, and that's fine. And and then when the race comes, I just tank it all and just last place, lapped by everyone, and just most of the time I've been able to flip cars over in AC that I didn't even know you could. No, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I've done it on stream for uh, I think it was the GP laps episode. I flipped the car and crashed into a barrier enough to where the wheel busted, and then I was just spinning in a circle <laughs> out in the dirt. <laughs> I, uh, it's kind of a meme at this point, my, my incredible driving skills. But if you put me in a hot lap situation, I can normally put it together 
and organize my thoughts and organize my timings and all that stuff. But put another person in that, going into that corner, all is out the window. It's like all of my brain just shuts off and goes, I don't want to hit them. I don't want to hit them. I don't want to hit You're them. one of those drivers. I like them where I can just poke my nose in and yep. scare you. I'll have no intention to pass at that corner, but if I can scare you oh, yeah. and you're looking in the mirror, not at the track ahead. The moment I see you do one of these and you disappear from my rear view mirror, I'm like, where'd it go? Ah! That's it. Yeah. Yeah. They're gone. <laughs> oh no, they're beside me and I can't turn in anymore. And then off the track. Oh, dear. I mean, I'm sure we'll get some hot lapping tonight. <laughs> yeah. It, hopefully, because we only do the practices, you know, um, we did races in the first, I want to say it was like eight to nine episodes, something like that. We were actually racing. And a lot of the time what ended up happening is that the conversation kind of went downhill because everyone's concentrating because it's a real race. So you, you, know, uh, you want to yeah. place, you want to do well. You also kind of want the the guest to win a little bit because, you know, makes the guest be like, oh, I won the race in my, in my episode. You know, <laughs> it kind of feels good and all that. Um, but we switched it then to a track day format for AC and then just practice for ACC. And then sometimes we do iRacing and I, last time we did, we just did practice as well. So it just takes a lot of stress off of it and we can still chit chat and have some fun, you know? Yeah. So what is your favorite, favorite sim racing game at the moment? Oh, I suppose it depends on the flavor. Okay. Generally, Assetto Corsa Competizione. Okay. Very much enjoy it for my serious sim racing. But if I want to relax and chill out a little bit, I play Circuit Superstars. Okay. So I'm going to guess, there's a question in chat, do you prefer oval or road? And I'm going to guess your selection would be road. Road indeed. Yeah. Road indeed. I've done a little oval racing, but I don't. It becomes obvious that I'm not American and I don't know what I'm <laughs> that you, doing. You especially. don't know what's going on. So the first time I ever oval raced, I think it was, was it Jeep? No, GP wasn't oval. Um, it was McConey, Jeff McConey. And we got on the oval. <clears throat> and it's actually a lot of fun. It's interesting because you don't realize how technical oval, ra oval racing really is until you're doing it, right? Oh, yeah. I you're, did it once and quickly. You're just like, oh, we just turn left and do the exact same thing 452 times. <laughs> That's it, right? But you get on the track with other cars and, and the slipstreaming and the passing and just all the, the craziness that ensues when you're going into the corners and coming out of the corners is, is very uh, white-knuckled driving for me because I'm you know, nervous again because there's cars around me. But oh, uh, yeah. I definitely I mean, am on the same side as you. I, I like road racing and... <sighs> Why would you say you like road racing more? Is there something specific that you can pinpoint as to why road just kind of grabs your attention more? Nah, I'm sure it's just because that's what I was brought up on, just being this side of the pond. I grew sure. up with Formula One. Those circuits became iconic to me. But I've done a little bit of oval racing. I, I did a job, a graphic job for a W Series driver, Alice Powell. And then she invited me into a Discord for um, just like a silly Skip Barber race. Okay on an oval in iRacing and sort of I got to race against sort of Alice Powell, Ian M. Ahmed, Billy Munger, Charles Leclerc was in there very briefly. Wow. And really that would, a lot of people were making contact. A lot of people were crashing. Um, <laughs> and it was very technical because the slipstream is really strong in those cars and they yeah. only maybe do a hundred miles an hour tops or it felt like that. Those little skip barbers are very cool cars to drive. 
they were great fun, but I mean, I managed to come second, so. Well, if everyone's that everyone was... <laughs> else is crashing and stuff, you're just, you know. I mean, I did make a legitimate pass on Billy Munger, so. There you go. Nice. I can't, I've just liked Road because, I don't know, it feels, you know, before I went to Oval, it just kind of felt more technical. So I was like, okay, I want to be able to turn both directions is the first thing that comes to mind. And then, you know, once you start racing, like Road America is probably one of my favorite tracks. Laguna Seca is one of my second favorite tracks. Nürburgring is is up there as well. They just, they feel fabulous to drive. When you put a full lap together on any of the, the road tracks, you just feel amazing. You, you see the little green marker that's like best lap and you're like, yes, I, I did it. I can, I can be happy for the day. I put, put together my absolute best. And I don't know, on, on Oval, while all, all the technical bits do come together and do make for a very fun white knuckle race, me being a, a, a time trial guy, I don't think I'd have so much fun in a time trial on an Oval, to be honest. <laughs> I suppose it's um, the way European circuits organically grew out of just great driving roads. So Spa-Francorchamps, that we'll drive later, just grew out of the country roads in sort of the hills of belgium and this is i'm not a fan of these sort of newer cookie cutter herman tilka circuits that are all flat and sort of have a formula of right there must be a long straight and then there must be a really sharp hairpin here and there must be they follow a formula rather than let's follow the curvature of the land and say my favorite track where i grew up brand hatch which was on the pole but it, it didn't win it did not it was a it, very very close pole though um it was yeah people were wrong not to choose that i think it was one of the closest we've ever seen for sim sundays uh, i'm trying to pull it up here because i put it in our, on our every choice message. it was had a 30... story behind it well i'm going to ask you now that you said that so it was 33.3 to 35.3 to 31.4 and of course, Spa came out ahead. Brand, Brands Hatch was in second, and Watkins Glen was in last. But last by that small of a percentage is not yeah. a, I mean, not a lot at all. So tell me a little bit about the stories. So let's start with the last place one, Watkins Glen. What's the story behind that one? I mean, it's probably good that that one came last because it kind of had the weakest story, but it's just where I picked up my, I think it was like my first proper sim racing win in a league oh. event in i think it was formula three and we had our cars we were, i was fighting for the lead throughout the race but i had set my car up for downforce and the person behind had set theirs up for top end speed Ooh. so what just kept happening was they'd pass me down the back straight and then coming into uh so you've got that really long right hander yep. it's not not called the the shoot maybe the really long right that's like 180 degrees almost i could overtake them on the inside or the outside it didn't matter which side i took i could go past them so they couldn't even really defend on that corner anyways no but any straightaway and they were straight back past so it was this real fight and every single lap all 25 laps the lead changed that's amazing and it was (laughs) the hardest fought win i've ever had but Okay. I mean, that's a great story. And definitely being one of your first, you said it was the first win that you had? Yeah, sort of first I Formula 3 iRacing League. 
I think that no matter who you are in sim racing, you're always going to remember your first win track, definitely. Well, I guess you're always going to remember any wins track because they're wins, let's be honest, unless you're winning every week, but at that point, whatever. But that's a cool story. And did it happen in the R8 GT3 as well? Is that why you picked that car for Watkins? Or Yeah, Watkins? No, so... Um, the Audi is just a car that I've come to like recently in okay. ACC. I used it's to use consistent. the Aston Martin religiously. Okay. But okay. Uh, teammates of mine in a sort of... So you've got Go For The Gap, and then I just thought, hey, I should have a team called Go For The Gap Racing. So there's about seven of us now. Nice. Um, sort of a few drivers, former Team Fordzilla drivers have come over to race for us, which is quite nice. And yeah, most of them were saying... You'll go, you'll go quicker in the Audi. You know, I fought it for a while. So I was, I was always driving McLarens and uh, Ferraris pretty much exclusively. <clears throat> and then I got into the Audi. I can't remember why. I think Tom was the inspiration be- behind me going into the Audi at some point. And it was very consistent and, and almost easier to drive than the other two cars, to be honest with you. So I definitely... It's easier than the McLaren. I definitely can understand why people gravitate towards it because I do see a lot of people using that car, at least in the circles that I hang out in, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, okay. So, the second one would be Brands Hatch. And you picked the BMW M4 GT3 for that one. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was because uh, last year I passed my sort of racing license test in a BMW M4 at Brands Hatch. Oh, wow. And it was okay. crazy how on the second lap of my test, it just clicked in my head and it just felt like I was using a virtual reality headset in okay. the game. And it was very unsettling. And I was told, now the instructor, they'll, they don't want you to go super fast. They just want you to go about 60% of, you know, a, a fast pace, well within the bounds of, you know, so you're not sliding off the track or anything right right they want to keep you safe and, just so you pass the test you know you know we're looking for safety not speed and mm-hmm. then my instructor was going faster faster brake later <laughs> brake harder overtake this toyota get past them was, <laughs> and the horrible thing was i'd gone into the test and i said look i do sim racing but i don't want to be that person and think i'm all that because i've done sim racing i said would you like me to brake with my left or my right foot mm-hmm. and they said um you're right as you would in a road car so i thought okay and that's i shouldn't have done that because i'm not used to race because he was pushing me so hard i'm Mm -hmm. not used to pushing the brake that hard with my right foot yeah yeah it's a completely different feel i've actually so i know probably shouldn't have done this but i'm in my little ford fusion you know it's got a little bit of power to it and i'm like i wonder what left foot braking feels like in a real car (laughs) We've all done. Oh man! And you go. <laughs> yes, you tap the brake, and you're just like, "Whoa, no, that does not work at all." It, it was the weirdest sensation because you know, in in my head, like muscle memory like took over, and I have the the load cell pedals on my sim rig, and you know, oh, a yeah. normal car's pedals is not anywhere like what you have to do no. on a load cell pedal. So I I stamped down on the pedal and. Oh, I threw myself forward and was like, well, I won't be doing that again. That no. was... <laughs> Did anybody see me do that? I know no. you're looking in your rear view. You're like, oh, man, that was not what I intended to do. But I had the opposite problem. So I've um, 
I've maybe reached 110 miles per hour down the Brands Hatch Strait, which everyone knows it's not very straight and it's not very long. Mm-hmm. And this is just a road car. And the trouble was that it's a very luxurious car, the M4. It's a very nice car, yeah. And yeah, but that meant he kept telling me to change gear. Like he kept thinking I was forgetting to change gear. I wasn't. I just needed it to rev that high so I could hear it because I was, as a racer, uh, we rely on the engine sound. Yeah. We're not looking down at the dial going, oh, I'm, I'm going that fast. Right. And I'm in, in that the road gear. car, it's trying to seal out some of the exterior exactly. noise. Yeah. So I go to brake into turn one, paddock hill bend. I brake with my right foot and he goes, brake harder. <laughs> so I go, okay, I'll brake harder. I've missed the apex. The backs, then we've gone over the crest of the hill. The car's gone light. The back end stepped out. <laughs> and then I'm counter steering a slide and I get it together and continue on our that way. That's fabulous. And I just, I do the next few laps thinking, I failed the test. The end. And we get back to the pits and he says, You know what I'm going to say to you, don't you? I said, In my defense, I did handle it. He said, You did handle it. You kept it out the gravel, just, and you were good with other cars passing you. So if my boss didn't see it, I'll pass you. Mm. So I, I thought, hang on, you were telling me to go faster. Yeah, right. I can't remember his name. He was a nice guy, and I've, said, I've seen him since at Brands Hatch. But That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so you had like, the exact opposite that of my experience on the road. Left foot braking, you were light on the right foot and threw everything out of whack. Yep. But I have done what you did as well on the road. <sighs> you have We've, to try it, right? Empty road, and I just thought, I wonder what it feels like. Huh, no. And that was in a little sports car I had. It's so all, I like, it. I feel like as a sim racer that also drives, almost everyone has had to try it once, right? Had to. It, it feels odd that if someone is never curious about what it feels like to left foot brake in a real car. I mean, if you, yeah, if you haven't done it, go do it. Don't, well, coming from us, two people <laughs> who have slammed on the brakes, basically, and thrown ourselves forward. It's not all it's cracked up to be. It doesn't feel anything like sim racing. So, <laughs> But it's very weird because you think, I'm sure I didn't put more pressure on it. Right. It's just the but hydraulics must... and all that stuff that just like, well, and then if it starts to break a little bit too hard and you're thrown forward, your foot's thrown forward too. So it makes yeah, it worse. Yeah, and usually as a driver, you, you know it's coming, so you brace for it. Mm-hmm. But that was but so, you're not expecting it. So instantaneous that you have no idea that it was coming. So you're just throwing yourself yep. straight into your steering wheel and going, wow, that wasn't, uh, wasn't what I expected at all. That was funny. Just, next time I'm out in the car, it's going to happen. In my head, it will go, do it, do it. Right, right. Both do of it, us, next it. time we get in a car, are going to go, I, now I know what it feels like. And we just talked about it, so I'm thinking about it. Let's try again. Let's do it again. Why would let's, you do it again? Let's do it again. Let's give it a shot, right? <laughs> oh, man. So the last one, the one we are actually racing today, it's going to be Spa in the AM Vantage. So The V8 Vantage. I, that thing, I mean, can I fun. give a shout out to somebody? Because yeah, it relates to the story. Um, there's a YouTuber that you probably have seen his videos. Josh Revel. No. 300 something, 340,000 subscribers. He does Formula One videos. Usually topical about what's going on, like current season. And I... he'll sort of sprinkle in some historic stuff. And his videos will always say, keep it respectful. Keep it wholesome. Don't be a manus. 
and I'll see you next time. Oh, okay, yeah, I have seen him. Now, that was the, me trying to do a Kiwi accent. The new way that YouTube does its recommendations and things, though, uh, on the home screen, there's a lot of creators that I watch on, on a normal basis that I have no idea who they are and I'm not subscribed. It just keeps, their stuff just keeps coming back up on my home, home yeah. feed or whatever, which is kind of weird. And especially as a creator, it's kind of discouraging to think about. But I have seen those videos. Well, he was, I've done some graphic work for him. He's a big fan of my artwork. And he said, I'm coming over to Europe for the Belgian Grand Prix. Would you like to come with me? And I thought it was a joke or he's winding me up or okay, I'm, I'm going to get murdered. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I've never met him. And no, he, we went via Eurostar, which for Americans out there, that's the train that goes under the English Channel from Folkestone, well, from London to Paris, okay. but it also goes from London to Brussels in Belgium. So we both went on the Eurostar, went to the Belgium Grand Prix, and I know people. I, I, have, I work closely with the LGBT organization Racing Pride, sort of promotes LGBT inclusion in motorsports. Mm -hmm. And one of their ambassadors, Mr. Matt Bishop, is the director of communications for Aston Martin Cognizant F1. Okay. And I'd met him a few years ago when I was at W Series. And I just said, like, I realize it comes across as begging, but I was like, we're coming to the Belgian Grand Prix. I, I didn't ask for a paddock pass. It's, I'd love to be able to see you. And he said, if you've got a paddock pass, you can come for a coffee, sure. And I said, I don't, but never mind. And he said, well, I'll, I'll see if I can get you one. Wow. And he managed to get, for Josh and myself, a paddock pass, which meant we had about four hours and Jess at Aston Martin, I don't know her last name, but Jess, thank you so much. She gave us a tour. So it started in the hospitality area. It wasn't Hawkins. It wasn't Hawkins. No. Um, no, her LinkedIn says Jess C. And she is the, she does look very similar. If she wore the bobble hat, she'd be mistaken for Jess Hawkins. But no, she was in charge of hospitality. So she specializes in um, sort of, special guests, VIP guests, giving them tours. So it started with the hospitality area. We met, and I can say it now, but Nick DeFries was in there. And obviously we couldn't say we'd met Nick DeFries in Aston Martin because it might have spoiled something. And it, right. you know, it turned out he was uh, practicing for them at Monza before the Williams call-up. Uh, so we met Nick, and then we went through to the, the sort of truck that's right by the garage, Rather than the hospitality one, there's the one with all the tires and car parts. And on the way, we bumped into David Croft and he just started talking to us. He said hello to Jess. He obviously knows Jess. And then he just turned to Josh and I and was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. Shook our hands. Do you want a photo? Yeah, of course you do. Arms <laughs> around us. And I managed to give him, like, um, I've got a book of my artwork. I managed to give that to him. And wow. I wish I'd got him to sign one. And I forgot. I was just... well. And then he gave me commentary tips, was lovely of him. And he was just such a down-to-earth, easy to talk to. Just, I f They might appreciate it when people aren't shoving a phone in their face trying to get a selfie. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, if I was a celebrity, I think I would appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, they must get it a lot. I was at W Series and David Coulthard was just being swarmed by people shoving phones in his face yeah that and would... i thought it must get annoying so 
when we met Nick DeFries, it was handshake. How are you? Congratulations on your success. Meet David Croft, handshake. Classy. Nice. Um, we saw Martin Brundle, but he was on the phone, so we left him alone. Don't want to be that for it. Don't want to be that person. And then just hey, I know you're doing something and talking on the phone, but can you pay attention to me instead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the world, the world revol- revolves around me for the now. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, took us through to the garage. We got a signed hat from Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel. Okay. That is... I like the Sebastian one, but the Stroll one. There. Know. Well, it's one hat signed by both of them. If oh, you can see right where I'm there. pointing. Okay, yes. Uh, that one is signed by both of them. Not, they can't see on the stream, but they can see some of the hats behind you. But yes, I do see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There is a hat above up there, but it might be clipped out of shot. Um, and then we got to mill around the pit lane whilst all the teams were doing their practice That's pit amazing. stops. So mechanics are pushing the car into place and they're quickly going. Pew, pew. That's amazing. Like I've practiced the sound effects and everything. Yeah, that sounded pretty <laughs> accurate, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But so some of it's crazy was, being that in that one. environment. Um, some of the most amazing things that I see on on social are just I follow a lot of photographers like Peter McKinnon and stuff like that, and he's mm. been going to F one races a lot lately, and it's just fascinating to watch their little Instagram and 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 their stories just being in the most amazing places. So I can only imagine what that felt like to be in that environment. Live. I didn't realize it's. You see it on TV all the time, but when you're there, it's very different. It's really, yeah, it's, um, they're all trucks that have come in, but it's hard to believe they're trucks because they've all unfolded into these three story like buildings forming buildings, and they're so things. solid. Yeah. It's not like you hit a wall and it wobbles. They feel solid. Like they've always been there. And it feels like a small town because you've just got this road down the middle That's... with buildings on each side for Pirelli, AMG, every team, including, yeah, say Pirelli for the tyres as well. Yeah, and when... the people are all talking to each other because they all work together. If, you know, across teams, they'll all know each other because... Yeah, they, I mean, they see yeah. each other every week that for many, many hours each day. So it makes sense. And they've likely worked for one team then worked for another team and you know sure. they've been around the paddock sure it's funny that you say like you hit it and it wobbles because i'm thinking of like if you go to an rv park just like a cam- <laughs> an rv campground and you see the person go into their camper and the whole thing's going this like this as they go up the stairs and you can see every footstep that they're walking around there yeah they're not quite they're not quite like that right but that's like the sort of uh, the foundation of motorsport when you go to club events and it's just people with their caravan. They've got an awning down over the car to keep them in the shade. Yeah. Some people might have something. I think, uh, yeah, I know one driver who has an American RV. Nice. And it's very strange in the, in the UK. It really sticks out as, oh, that, that, That's that is very American. Yeah, okay. That's, I didn't even really think that there would be a difference between like an American RV and, and, a, and any other RVs out there. They're just well, bigger. you call them caravans, right? Yeah, this was just bigger. Oh, well, because it's America. We do everything to level 12. You I don't, don't know have why. to worry about little country roads that have sort of been born out of, you know, horse tracks that Romans right. then built on, you know. You've got interstate highways that are really, you know, 10 lanes wide. 
very true very true that's that's yeah, i've been to america a few times i i know my way yeah yeah i mean just florida which is the best one well not really <laughs> it's the best one tropically like environmentally for me that's where i want to ultimately live because i just like the the weather is is nice uh it it is a little crazy. I don't know if you've ever been on Reddit or not, but there's a whole subreddit yeah. dedicated to Florida man. So oh, if you want some yeah. co- some some American comedy, there's a r slash Florida man, and it's just weird things that actually happen in Florida that are just so unbelievable. They sound like movies, made up stories, I've but they're heard things some. that legitimately happen in the state of Florida. And while I will avoid all of those things, I do love the environment down there because it's kind of a vacation slash living vibe. And I just really like that. Plus, I, I hate still feel snow. the humidity. Oh, I love it. I love it when so much. When you step out the airport and you just go bang. Yeah, it just into like, that. hits you in the face and you're just like, whoa, the air just got really heavy. Whoa. Yeah, especially coming from the UK where it's much colder and yep. then that just tropical wall of boom. Oh, yeah, we're in Florida yeah, and, and, and for a moment, it's like a little bit harder to breathe for a moment just because it's so <laughs> thick. Yeah, I, I definitely know exactly what you're talking about. And I love it. Absolutely. But pre-internet, love it. everybody thought I was Australian. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, there was no, you know, this was 97 and then I went again in 2003. So really sort of pre-Facebook yeah. and YouTube and everything. I guess and culturally before the internet, the, like you wouldn't be exposed to a lot of other accents and things. Like they thought Georgia was that's the it. end. <laughs> <laughs> See, to us, if you say Georgia, it's like, what, that country by Russia? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's funny that I picked one state that's named the same as a country. Yeah, of course I did. Yeah, so when people say Georgia, I'm like, oh, never. no, 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 the American state. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that would be interesting. Life is so different with the internet now. We're just exposed to so much more. It's better and worse at the same time. It's kind of interesting. I've but, heard about American kids watching Peppa Pig and picking up British accents, and I think that's brilliant. That would be amazing because while I don't feel like I have any accent because, well, this is where I live, everyone talks this way. Um, I've been told by other people that I have a very American accent. Cool, blimey, Governor, you do have a right strong accent, you do. <laughs> I ain't but got no accent, I haven't, no. Not at all. I, I like <laughs> accents. I, I personally wish I could, uh, I wish I could do voiceover acting and just switch my accent to any accent I want. Now, of course, you could take classes and learn the phonetics of, of all the different languages, but I always thought that would be really cool to just, like, be able to randomly just switch between a bunch of different accents whenever you feel like I mean, like I could it. teach you quickly how to say bottle of water like a British person. Bottle of water? What? <laughs> but now try and say it without the T's. Water. That's it. So bottle of bottle water. water. There you okay. go. You're, you're just, a Brit. Just remove the T's. There you go. Bottle of water. Well, I do have some questions about your commentary experience, but I think it's about time that we actually throw some laps together in spa. What do you say? Let's do it. Hey, this is Chris from GridFinder. Thanks for listening to the Sim Sundays podcast. Head on over to gridfinder.com to find your spot on the grid and join sim racing leagues for all your favorite games. Just enter your preferred game, car of choice, then let us know if you'd like to race PC, Xbox, or PlayStation, and we'll give you a list of actively recruiting leagues for you to join. And if you're a league owner, post your league on GridFinder so that you run with a full grid for every race. If you'd like to participate in the races featured in each episode of the Sim Sundays podcast, join our Discord server by going to gridfinder.com slash discord. 
We host a new car and track combo every Sunday at 8 p.m. UK time and stream it live to our YouTube channel. If you're looking to upgrade your sim rig, visit the episode sponsor Track Racer at trackracer.com. Thanks for being here. So, okay, Cammy, I'm I'm going to be done racing for for today because I want to get into some more questions. And then you I will. actually didn't catch any viewer questions if there are any viewer questions in there. But I have I'll keep specific doing laps. Yeah, you you're more than welcome to keep doing laps. I'll just distract you as much as I possibly can. <laughs> But my questions all revolve around getting into commentary, actually. So, obviously, the GridFinder Discord has find commentators and the GridFinder site. We have commentator stuff on there. And there's been times where, I'll just use myself as an example, where I've thought, you know what would be really cool is to get into some commentary stuff. Because I enjoy talking into a microphone, I'm sure you can tell by the podcast. And how did you get your start in commentating? Did you have to practice something, or did it just fall into your lap? Um, it kind of fell into my lap. I'm sort of quite good friends with um, Alex Goldschmidt, who's quite ah. a well-known commentator. Covers Rotax karting series. He also does eSport League events. And Alex. Sort of I learned a little from him. I commentated alongside him once and it just depends it's not something i can say you can learn because i've heard bad commentators out there and it's just a case of if you can to put it politely have verbal diarrhea you just need to keep talking but you can't just say you know, car number five is going around this corner. You have to have knowledge. Yeah. That everyone, the, don't tell people what they can see. Everyone can see what a car's doing and at what part of the track. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The way I went into commentary was I thought, right, I should give my sim racing experience. I suppose most people haven't sim raced that are watching or possibly haven't sim raced to the level that, I was able to get to and say that wasn't even anywhere close to say James Baldwin or Philippe Vikida. But I've got enough where I can talk to race drivers and we can all relate about, you know, what the car's doing. So if somebody gets a spin, a bad commentator could go, oh, they've spun. I say bad commentator, I suppose. And a e commentator could say, oh, they've spun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then the viewer will be going, well, why did they spin? Are they, you know, are they just rubbish? Did, did something happen? And that's when it's useful to say, oh, looking back on the replay, the car's clipped the curb. That's got the car unsettled. The back end's gone light. This all that's when sense. they've got a bit of oversteer. They've countered that. And, you know, once you're that way around, you're not saving it and you're into the wall. Something like that. Just... And also going into the emotions about it. So if you've got somebody chasing another car, there's a lot of psychology to it. There's people who will just happily follow, but not, you know, I'm one of those drivers who will happily follow you and not try to make an overtake attempt for a, quite a long time because I, sure. I like to chase rather than be chased and I'd rather you just make a mistake. Right. And then you capitalize on that moment. Yeah, that makes sense. That's it. So in commentary, I know there are people who do that. I know there are people who always be weaving around trying to distract the person in front of them <laughs> as well. Just hitting every single mirror they possibly can just to make them freak out a little bit. 
which would work it's on not me. Even that, it, even if they're not freaked out, anything you can do that means they're looking in the mirror and not at the track ahead, it means mm. just they're more likely they're going to miss their breaking point. They're going to miss the apex. They're just going to make a slight mistake where you can capitalize on it, even if it's not right there and then. They, they'll compromise their entry into a corner, which means they'll subsequently com- which. Uh, compromise their exit of the next corner or the next sort of series of corners. Which then is that mistake that you are waiting for. Which is then, you know, oh, they're slow out of that corner, the person behind can capitalize on that. But it's also when it comes to the psychology of, um, and the maturity of, Sometimes you get sim racers who get a black, a blue flag and they just absolutely do not want to be overtaken <laughs> or you'll get the ones who leap out the way, but do it in a really unsafe way. But you'll get occasionally the sensible ones who just, you know, they'll run wide at a corner deliberately or they'll stay predictable, but then they'll follow the leader because it's a good opportunity for them to learn. You know, if you if you've been lapsed by the leader, yeah. Hey, try and follow them. See what they're doing see that you're where, not. See where their breakpoints are. See where their, yep, turn-ins. And yeah, everything. don't run into the back of them. Go, don't, like, do not do that. But right. They might be doing something a little bit different on a corner that you're not even aware of. And Plus, it just it makes a sim uh, eSport event just look so much better when you've got drivers doing what they do in real life. Yeah. When... You know, I it's straight. I have been lapped. I've been lapped by um, Team Jensen Rockets, uh, Matt Richards, lovely guy. But in the R Factor Two E Team Brit GT Challenge, they chose the Corvette, which was the favoured car, and we picked the Radical because we didn't know the Radical was awful. <laughs> we had to pick the Radical because it had a Ford engine, and we were Team Fordzilla, and everyone kind of laughed that we chose it. And when I got lapped, I, you know, I don't know, like, I didn't like being lapped, but it also felt like, hey, this is cool. This is what happens in real life. It feels more realistic. You know, that's one Because thing. now I have to obey those rules and procedures that, you know, the only thing sim racing is missing is the safety car. If there's a big wreck, people just hit the escape key and they're back to the pits. But right. I wish there was a, pe- a safety car period where it could uh, bunch up the field and bring in that unpredictability. And for commentary, it give us a break of uh, talking as well. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Because That's... depending on the skill level, sometimes there's a crash over there, there's a crash over here, there's a crash over there, and you're trying to keep up with everything that's going on. I think one of one of the biggest things you said in this for maybe budding commentators would be, you know, don't just regurgitate what happened people have eyes they saw that the car spun talk about why you know give a little bit more detail something deeper than than just repeating what's happening because it's a hard thing to do i mean i've watched many of our invitationals and then you know thought what would i say here in this moment if i was commentating and it's hard to come up with with just random stuff it's a little bit different than say a conversation in a podcast like we're having right now that we can go off on any tangent we want, as we've done many times in today's episode. But <laughs> this is have. a dynamic conversation that's only driven by the two of us, whereas in commentary, yeah, there is some of that dynamic conversation happening between the commentators, but most of the stuff is going to be reactionary based on what's going on on the screen. 
and that's an interesting uh that's an interesting battle to have to to go through i would say that's it i've only done commentary for owned racing so i am kind of trying to build up a showreel of go. my commentary and you know if i'd love to do commentary for other series as well would you, say, to... <laughs> would you say that you're the comic relief on the show? Are you the very serious person on the show? Are you the dry humor? What, what kind I... of role do you think you, you fill in the commentary box? <sighs> um, it's hard for me to put my own label. Because I, I don't try to be any one thing. I sure. just talk about what I know. I, and I think... You know, others have said it before, you know, don't go in there trying to be Murray Walker. Don't go in there trying to be David Croft. Just do your own thing. Yeah. Although I admit, you do, it is good to have a balance of entertainment in your Murray Walker and David Croft, but then also having the inside knowledge of, say, James Hunt or Martin Brundle alongside who can talk about the things that David Croft wouldn't know about. Mm-hmm. Because you, know, you have to experience it. And so Owned Racing will get maybe 50 to 100 viewers. So I'm generally thinking, okay, there might be friends and family of some of the racers. Sure. They might not have that sim racing experience and they might think of it as just an easy game. And so I'm trying to tell them, unlike your road car where you can feel what's happening, you know, G-forces under your bum in the seat. Yeah, it's a completely different experience driving yeah it's very different sim racing and i it's easier for a sim racer to move up to real racing rather than a real racer to step into sim racing because you're losing senses Mm -hmm. so in sim racing yeah you're racing without feeling what the car's doing underneath and you're wholly relying on the visuals the sounds and what you can feel through the steering wheel yeah Maybe that's it. it's if you very... have some rumble pedals, you can feel a little bit there, but that's not valuable, really. Yeah, yeah. We've, um, I meant to get some at some point. I haven't been racing enough to warrant it because I've been doing artwork and commentary instead. Right. Which I am enjoying. Well, I mean, so... so it You know, it almost sounds like... I guess I'm searching for the words here. It sounds like... It's really important for you to be able to experience sim racing at a pretty detailed level if you really want to be, I don't want to say a valuable commentator, but you just need to have that experience behind you so you can talk about firsthand what the driver's thinking, what the driver's feeling. And it doesn't have have to necessarily be 100% accurate. Like you don't know the driver's emotions at the time, but you you can draw from your own personal experiences on the track to to kind of fill in the gaps that's it sometimes you sometimes you very much can see the driver's emotions especially if they've had a spin (laughs) and they're facing the wrong way and they just put their foot down to just get going again but all they do is spin again yeah that's it and you think okay yeah you're not calm you've just planted your foot tried to do a 180 and you've just done another 360 yeah (laughs) so you're obviously not calm you're sort of in the heat of the moment you're you're angry because you've just you know you've let that battle get away and you know you're thinking of points lost and everything like that or you're thinking 
you're the victim in the outcome. Right, you're mad at something that you you believe was done to you, if you will. Yeah. That's it, yeah. It's only until after the race and you see the replay and you see it from the third person or the, like the TV camera, we actually see, oh, okay, it wasn't as bad as it seemed from my point of view. Right. But there's also the case when you're racing, you're, because we sim racers often don't have a big team of people behind them so the sim racer is driving but also they're having to work out right have i put enough fuel in how much fuel do i need often they'll do that before the race but you're still thinking okay right if i i've got to lap do i pit on this lap do i pit on the next lap right i don't don't have a strategist telling me when i'll come out into you know i might come out of the pits behind traffic i might come out in free air i I don't know yeah that's true yeah so you're doing that behind the scenes so sim racing also, is harder than actual no <laughs> it's different it's, it's different, you don't have yeah. the fear fa- you obviously don't have the fear factor in sim racing whereas obviously i got to drive um a bmw m3 sort of gt club racing car owned by a team called uh, red seal racing and immediately what struck me was the noise and I, I can't um, heel toe. I've never done it before. I can't do it in my road car because the pedals are just, they're not set up for someone with little feet to do it. Sure. And they put the pedals at different levels to, I think, deliberately stop you doing it. So you can't, you know, be a street racer. Mm. And I kept worrying that I was going to over rev the engine on my downshifts. But they said, no, that's just, no, that's fine. It was just the engine was so loud because obviously all the noise insulation had been removed that I, you know, I'd never heard a M3 engine at 6,000 revs without all the sound without insulation. Without all of the dampening for road cars, right. That's it. And it just sounded so loud. I was worried I was going to break the thing sort of changing <laughs> down too early or something. So I was sort of riding the clutch and being a bit like nervous to change down. Right. That makes sense. And it's ironic because novice drivers get given free pedals and then when you're a pro you get the much easier flappy paddles hmm. well cammy we're gonna have to wrap up this episode of sim sunday so is there anything that you want to tell your followers or anyone watching or listening or direct them buy my stuff commission me give me money buy my stuff commission <laughs> me, give me money nice. give me money give me money give me money if no you... um now you're goforthegap.co.uk is your main site and you're also on I know you're on Twitter are you also on Instagram and things like that Yeah um Instagram and Twitter are just at cami racing and say so I've got the Etsy store which is etsy.co.uk or etsy.com I think it doesn't matter I believe if you search shop. for just go for the gap your Etsy store does come up first I believe I think so, yes. Yeah. It's like etsy.com forward slash shop yep. forward slash go for the gap. Or just DM me and, you know, sort something out. I try to be you know, nice f- to everybody. I follow you on Twitter because then you get trending tweets about racing as, as you did last yeah, night. Yeah, and sometimes you know? I, I tweet. Yeah, sometimes I tweet a funny. And also some f- fantastic astrophotography is in there as well. <laughs> yeah, recent hobby that I've tried to get into good times good times relaxing whereas racing is very fun but you wouldn't relax by sim racing would you no not necessarily not unless you're a hot lap person and you just turn on some tunes like i do frequently 
<laughs> but Cammy, I really appreciate you being here. This was a fabulous, fabulous conversation. And, uh, you know, what I would like to do is reserve the the time on your calendar at some point to be able to bring everyone back. What we want to do is a invitational race with all of the different guests that we've had throughout the year, and then they can all actually race against each other, and someone can take home the magical trophy. So we've had, Sounds- you know, we've had had a lot of pretty good racers on here. Of course, Tom and I will probably be just running up the back, just trying to trying to not get lapped too many times. But <laughs> it, it, we we figured that would be a very fun little event for everyone to to get into. So if you you'll hear from us again for sure in regards to that. But also, uh, this episode will be released next week, and if you could share it, that would be appreciated. But um, yeah. Go check out Cammy's artwork and go for the gap. If you want to just Google that there, you'll go to the yeah, Etsy shop the, or the, the logo. shop. And I found out today, like I said earlier, that the first G is the actual helmet. And that's a brilliant design. Very well done on that one. <laughs> Thank you very much. Everyone, uh, thanks for watching. This is Sim Sundays. You know, every single week we talk about sim racing. And today, this episode is sponsored by Track Racer, just like a couple of the last ones. So if you're looking to upgrade your rig or, you know, get off that desk kind of setup, go ahead and go to Track Racer. There we go. We got a Track Racer rig right there on, behind Cami. Fabulous stuff. Uh, TrackRacer.com, and that's track without the C if you're looking for it. But uh, other than that, we will see you next week. You can follow us all over the place at GridFinder. Um, just search for it on any social platform. Thanks, guys. Cammy, thank you very much. This was fabulous. We will see you next week, y'all.